All right, Trinity Church, how you doing? Happy Sunday to you. It is great to see you. We're so glad you're here on the Super Bowl weekend. Thanks for making this a part of your weekend plan. And uh, my name's Todd Arnett. I'm the lead pastor here at Trinity Church. I know that Hilke did a survey with you a minute ago about who you're rooting for today. I don't know about you, though. I wore the colors of the team that I'm rooting for today. There's a huge game. You know what's going on. But I, you're looking at me funny. I don't have any red on. It's because UCLA is playing Utah today. <laughs> And uh, whoever puts a college basketball game on Super Bowl Sunday, I have no idea, but my team is. So that's who I'm rooting for. In just about an hour, we're going to see them play. And um, that's the team that you need to be uh, on board with today. We are so glad that you're here. We're going to have a great time today. I want to welcome you here in the worship center. For those of you that are out on the pavilion, we're glad you're joining us on a beautiful, who gets February weather like this, uh, day, as well as those watching online. We're glad you're here with us as well. If you take a look in your Trinity this week, you have some notes that look like these. If you want to get those out, that'll help you track with us. We are in a series, you're joining us in week four of a series called Who We Are. We are talking about what our staff team worked so hard to kind of identify uh, last spring, and that's our core values, the DNA of Trinity Church. And it was a long, laborious uh, thing. I got to tell you, like we've said before, getting 12 people to agree on anything is incredibly difficult. But we stayed at it, we prayed, we talked, we had great conversations. And what's been so great about this series is I have had so many good conversations with you of people saying, hey, number one, I really do agree. I think these are the core values of Trinity Church. Because remember, core values should not be a surprise to you. If you've been at Trinity for any amount of time, you should go, no, that, that's who we are. That, those are really important things around here. And I love that. And so it really, people have said, man, I feel so affirmed. I feel like we're doing the things a local church ought to do. And that's awesome. That really is a great thing. And I, there's a, not only that, but just such great history of what God has been doing at Trinity Church for these 40 years. So we're excited about all those things. Today you join us on week four. You'll notice these banners keep popping up every week. Today, this is what we're talking about. You are designed with a role in mind. And we love that. We love this idea of how God has uniquely worked in you, shaped you, built you so you can serve him by serving people. And so we're going to dive into that idea a little bit today. But this has been great, not only if you're people who've been at Trinity for a long time and, and walk away in this series feeling affirmed, but if you're brand new, Man, this is a great time to be trying to understand what does this church even say they're about? What's important to them? That's what we're doing this month of January and February, right out of the gates. This is what we believe our DNA is, what makes us unique as these things that we value. So we're really glad you're here today. If you have a Bible, you can open it up to Acts chapter 4. We're going to be following the life of a character today in the book of Acts that is going to demonstrate to us someone who really did understand how God had shaped him, and as a result, just demonstrated that so well, and we'll use that as kind of an example to us, not that we've all been gifted the same way, but in our gifting, how are we supposed to express that and, and identify and move forward? So I'm excited to get to look at the Word of God with you today. Now, I was thinking, I was thinking about the game a little bit today, and it does relate to this idea of gifts and, and the way that God has designed us. I want you to think about this for a second. 
Uh, even if you're not really pulling for anyone in the game today, they're, they're going to come through these tunnels, these two teams today, and they're going to battle for a few hours on this field. And as they do, imagine just game day, like today, the decision is made, they're going to change positions. Here have been people who have been working, striving, training, preparing, have so much experience in a specialized position, but they're going to say, game day. It's like, why not? It's the Super Bowl. Let's do something I've never done before. So imagine some of these examples. Raheem Mostart, amazing running back for the Niners, just cleaned the clock of the Packers a couple weeks ago. And in that, imagine if he, that's him with the ball, the guy next to him is an offensive lineman who weighs about 150 pounds more and is probably seven or eight in is taller. Imagine if they switch positions today. Just because. It'd be awesome. I'll try something new. It's the Super Bowl. Or imagine on the, on the Chiefs side, Patrick Mahomes, this amazing quarterback, so good. Imagine he comes out of the tunnel today and says, man, I'm just going to try the whole linebacker thing. That sounds really exciting. I've never played it a day in my life, but I think that would be sweet. So he goes out there. Imagine not only how bad that would be for the defense, but imagine what that would mean for the offense. We don't have our quarterback. We're just going to put someone else in there. I hope it goes well. This one really made me laugh. Think of Richard Sherman. If you know much about the Niners, this guy's a really just controversial player. He, imagine him and the coach, Kyle Shanahan, they just decide to switch positions today. If you know much about Richard Sherman, you probably don't want him as your coach. And Kyle Shanahan hasn't put on pads for years. Imagine they just go, let's just try this out. And you'd sit there and you go, that's the dumbest thing ever. You're uniquely built, prepared, designed to do your job. Go do that and do it well. And that's what I think about today when we're looking at this topic of understanding how God has designed us and putting that into motion is once you identify, God, this is what you built me to do. Now I want to go engage it. I guarantee you at Trinity Church, we have a place for you to incorporate your gifts. That's the definition of a local church, is that we use these gifts together to demonstrate what we're about. So you saw it already, our core value we're talking about today. You were designed with a role in mind. Look at our now what statement, what we want you to walk out of here today and, and really kind of own throughout the week this week. Identify your God-given design and honor him by engaging your gifts to serve others. Number one in your notes today, your design has been taking shape all of your life. Your design has been taking shape all of your life. I'm going to tell you, this idea was new to me until I was probably in my early 20s in pursuing vocational ministry, that I came across a tool much like what we've developed at Trinity Church, we'll talk about in a minute, our design class, that just blew me away, and I'll share that a little bit with you today. But I believe God has been up to this all along in your life, preparing you for how he's built you to serve. You're in Acts chapter 4, look at verse 36. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold the field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So this is what we're looking at today. We're looking at this idea of spiritual gifts, how God has built you and designed you. We're going to kind of look at the character and the life, the narrative of a guy named Barnabas. Now, Barnabas might be a name that you've kind of heard if you've been in church a while, like, I've heard that before, but you realize he's a bit obscure. He's really happy to hang out in the shadows because what we're going to find today, that's what encouragers do. I don't need the light on me. 
I'm going to be someone, though, who's going to keep encouraging you to use your gifts and get involved in serving where, how God's built you. So we're going to see that in just vivid colors today. And so he's the guy we're going to kind of walk through a little bit uh, of his story. Now, before we do that, I want to introduce you, though, when we even talk about this phrase, spiritual gifts, what are we talking about? You can leave your, your Bibles there in Acts 4, but just look up on the screens. This is from Romans 12, one of the really definitive passages about how spiritual gifts are incorporated in the body of Christ. It says this in verse 4, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So just think of that. You have fingers, you have toes, you have ribs, you have a brain. They're all different in what they do, but they're all contained in one body. They all function together. Verse 5, so in Christ, we though many, we form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. And here's kind of Barnabas's gift. We'll see this unpacked today. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So we just see this kind of explanation. God has uniquely gifted all of his people, and in those gifts, the gifts are different, but the unity is absolutely essential And using those gifts to serve God's people. That purpose is expressed throughout. So we see that today. We're going to look. I don't want you to get lost in Barnabas' gift of encouragement, even though we'll keep seeing how he uses that, because you might be here today and very quickly identify, ah, that is not my primary spiritual gift. No problem. That's not the point of today. You might actually go, man, my words tend to be more discouraging than encouraging, so I'm not sure that's me, but I have the gift of teaching, or I have the gift of serving, or I have the gift of hospitality. Whatever that may be, they're all valuable. We're just going to walk this out through the life of Joseph. Oh, better said, Barnabas. That's actually how we find him. The first time he shows up in the Bible, his given name was Joseph, not Barnabas. And this is what I love. The apostles see this gift in him so strong. They just say, we're just going to call you encourager. That's what you do. It's so obvious about who you are. His gift was just so present in his life that the apostles just give him this nickname. You know, there's, there's four Josephs here. We're going to call you encourager because that's what you do, and that just really... Uh, just makes sense to us. When we read that, we saw a minute ago that he was from a place called Cyprus. Take a look at the map, and this is where Cyprus would be. It's still in the world today, obviously. It's an island, and you'll see it's off the coast. Jerusalem is way down below, and you'll see up above, we'll talk about a place called Antioch in a little bit. So Cyprus is right there, and what we read about is that he was Jewish, and not just Jewish, but he was from the line of Levi. Now, that name is a little bit familiar to some of us because we're going back and going, I've heard that name before. We'll go back to Jacob's 12 sons, and one of them was named Levi. There's this powerful narrative in those first five books of the Old, of the Old Testament that talk about when all of the nation or the, the peoples of Israel were
were going crazy. It was the tribe of Levi that said, we're going to honor the Lord. And as a result, God kind of uniquely calls them out to be the Levitical priesthood, the Levites that comes from that tribe. So we pass that down. Now we're looking in the New Testament, and we see this reality. And what we look at is we see that that um, uh, Barnabas or Joseph was a Levite. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that he was a priest. And I think even the idea that he was in Cyprus, not Jerusalem, really identifies he wasn't. But he was from this, um, this heritage that was the tribe that he was a part of, was the tribe of Levi. We'll see in a minute the fact that he's not from Jerusalem, I think creates a point of empathy he's ultimately gonna have for a guy that you know well, a guy named the Apostle Paul. So this is how we get to know him, and, and he's so obvious in his just demonstration of encouragement. The disciples say, man, we're just going to call you encourager. It's really who you are. That's just an easy way to remember you. And within that, we see a really important thing. The first time we're introduced to him, um, he's, he sells a field. He brings the profits from that, and, and literally, and I think even figuratively, he puts this money at the disciples' feet, the apostles' feet. And, and the purpose of that was these funds were to be used to be able to meet needs, the, the physical, practical needs of the early church. Now, interestingly enough, today at Trinity, we still do the same thing. If you look at the giving envelope in the seat back in front of you, you'll notice there's three funds that people give to all the time. They're ongoing funds at Trinity, and one of those is called the Helps Fund. Specifically, due to your generosity, we have this uh, fund just dedicated to helping meet the needs of people at Trinity Church and connected to Trinity Church when they're going through financial hardship. And that's exactly what those funds are used from. So it's cool. So that's just a thing we, we mirror from the early church in the first century. And that's the first time that we see Barnabas show up as he's bringing these funds to uh, help be a part of this helps fund. So here's a guy that we know, growing up in a Jewish home, probably grew up in this idea of having all of the ceremonies, all the festivals, all the the understanding of the Torah. I mean, this guy was a good, God-fearing Jew. But watch this. When he understood that Jesus was more than a good teacher, Jesus was more than a prophet, he was very Messiah. Barnabas put his faith in Jesus and became a follower of Jesus. So by the time we read him, he's a part of the early church, and he's recognized Jesus is exactly who he said he was and accomplished what he came to do. So that's where we find him in this first kind of sequence uh, throughout. Now, we talked about this empathy. Him being not from Jerusalem, he probably lived in this second-class world within the Jewish system because people who were truly dedicated to God— quotes, would have lived in Jerusalem. So if you live further away, it just kind of demonstrated you're Jewish, but you're not living in the land. You're maybe lesser. I think that's a real point of empathy because Barnabas is going to be this huge encouragement to a guy named Saul who's going to ultimately come to Christ as well. But he's from Tarsus, which is also in that same neck of the woods, and it was not necessarily initially valued or brought in like others would have been had they been from Jerusalem. And that's the next time that we pick it up. Your Bibles are open to Acts 4. Move to Acts 9, just a couple chapters later. And I want you to see the first time 
that Saul and Barnabas meet. Now, I'm going to use the name Saul and Paul interchangeably because Saul's name ultimately is going to be changed to Paul, but not until Acts 13. So here we are in Acts 9, verse 26. When he, when Saul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. So here's what's happened. This guy Saul was literally not just antagonistic or I don't like the church and, and I'm not really into Jesus. He was literally out persecuting the church, grabbing people from their homes and hauling them off to jail simply because they named the name of Jesus. The very first Christian to be killed for his faith was a guy named Stephen, and it says that Saul was there holding the coats of men as they murdered him. This is how hardcore this guy is absolutely against everything related to Jesus. Well, he has this amazing experience. He's literally you know, on a horse going up to Damascus. Light flashes, knocks him off the horse, and it's the risen Jesus appears to him and says, hey, what are you doing? I'm the guy you've been waiting for all your life, Messiah. Get it together. You're opposed to the wrong guy. Get on my team. I'm using my version of that, by the way. Um, and that's exactly what happens. Paul's blinded. He gets led into town. God heals his blindness, and he just falls into a puddle of just repentance and despair of, God, what have I been doing? And a true conversion experience happens in his life, and he will know him later on as the Apostle Paul and is this amazing catalyst for Jesus. Here's what we find, though. He comes to Jerusalem, and he tries to join the disciples, but watch, but they were all afraid of him, not believing he really was a disciple. And by the way, for good reason. This guy just hauled my cousin off to jail. Why am I thinking this guy's for us? But watch this, verse 27, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. This is powerful. Luke was the human author of the book of Acts. And I just think that God was using this so, in such a cool way. He introduces us to Barnabas in Acts 4 very glancingly, but now in Acts 9, he's made an introduction. You know, he says, hey, this guy isn't called encourager for nothing. He's the very first one who vouches for Paul, for Saul. We'll keep using that name for now. He's the very first one. And understandably, I think I would have been among the group who would have said, I'm not sure this guy's for real. He's probably just a spy trying to get in here and out all of us and take us all to prison. And they were rightfully, I think, afraid. But what had Barnabas done? He'd taken courage. See, here's the cool thing. The etymology of our English word encourage is so beautiful. It simply means to give courage. To give courage. And I think Barnabas had to muster up some of his own and had to go meet with this guy Saul and make sure his story was legit. But man, he brings him, this trusted guy in the early church, he brings him to the apostles and watch what he doesn't do. He doesn't push him out into the middle and say, tell him what you told me. He says, no, you wait here. And he steps in front of him and he says, let me tell you this guy's story and why I absolutely believe it's legit that he has had an encounter with Jesus and wants to follow him like us. I want you to think about something for a minute. I want you to think about a time that somebody vouched for you. A time when somebody stood up and said, I believe 
in this person. I believe, I don't know, I don't care about their reputation in the moment. I don't care about how they failed recently, but I believe in who they are and what God wants to keep doing in and through them. Sadly enough, some of us in this room, just the reality of a crowd this size can't even think of a time that's happened. And that breaks my heart because we all need a Barnabas in our life that will say, you know what? I believe in you. I know things are tough right now. I know that people are looking at you like they don't trust you, but I believe in you. And that's exactly what he did for him. And and that's really the power of encouragement is not only the fact, some of us think encouragement means someone who writes notes once in a while. Encouragement as a gift is so much bigger than that because of not only what it does, but how it knows who to go to. Think of it this way. Here's my table, and imagine you come up to me and you've got this wonderful glass of such refreshing water. It's perfect, right? And I'm sitting here, and at my table, I've got 30 glasses of refreshing cold water sitting here. You walk up these stairs, and you recognize quickly, Todd's doing fine. But you find over here someone dying of thirst, and you realize that's who needs it, and that's who you go and find. That's what encouragers are gifted to do, is not just to help people and develop and grow in them courage, but they know who to go to. Look in your notes. Here's a way of thinking about it. The best kind of encouragers don't keep heaping affirmation on top of people who don't need it, but know how to find people in need of courage and can speak up or put an arm around or meet a practical need when it's most scarce. I forgot to say this last service, but I said it uh, last night. By the way, we did our Super Saturday service last night. It was a ton of fun. Had a couple hundred people in here, and it was a blast. It was really a great time. But I shared it last night. That was what was so powerful. If you were at Larry's, uh, Larry and Karen's uh, retirement event last Saturday, as you would just have heard person after person get up on this stage and talk about when Larry and Karen were so instrumental in encouraging them when they came and found me, when I needed someone to go, you can do this, hang in there. And and so we have encouragers among us, there's no doubt about it. And that's what's so powerful when you see that gift evidence. Now you might be here today and you're saying, Todd, that's wonderful for Larry and Karen, (laughs) it's wonderful for Barnabas, might be wonderful for you if you know what your gifts are, I just don't know. I don't know and I'm even kind of hesitant to believe I have anything to contribute. Well, this is what I told you earlier. This is what blew my mind in my early 20s is when I came across an assessment tool that's very much like what our design tool is. And this is what came to me was that all along from the very beginning, God was developing you to serve him. And, and this is what I used to think. I used to think that you were walking down the street one day and you came to a point of realizing and, and responding to the gospel. And when you did, boom, spiritual gifts. They they came out of nowhere, and you had this, and no context. It was like in a vacuum, and where before you couldn't put two words together, now you're this amazing teacher, and I just thought that's how it worked. The funny thing is, I never saw ever that demonstrated. I didn't know anybody who had that kind of just out of the blue, didn't make any sense in their lives type of gifting. It all seemed to have a context, So I came across this evaluative tool like our design tool and all of a sudden it made sense. God knew, watch this, God not only knew that you would come to a place of saving faith and I absolutely believe that the Bible teaches is that when you respond to Christ, there is a unique gifting that you receive at that moment but it's in a context. 
He's known you all along. Long before you put your faith in him, he knit you together in your mother's womb. So he was developing you in every part about you. And when he gives gifts, he gives it in the context of what he's already shaping you to be. That's what our design class is about. Next Sunday, February the 9th, from 1030 to noon, Pastor Jim is going to teach this. And design, if you'll note, when you look at it, it's an acrostic. It's an acrostic. By the way, my time isn't right there. So just remember that, 1030, and it'll get done at noon. It's over in M101. But design is an acrostic. And as you look at that, this is what it relates to. It says that God knew your desires, God developed your experiences. God built you with unique skills. God gives you an identity. God gives you spirit-given gifts. And God developed your nature. These are all parts of who you are. God was shaping, designing all of those things and then gives you gifts according to it. So if you would like to join that class next week and find out more, how has God designed me? How has he built me next week, this same service, 1045 to noon, and 101, you can RSVP online. We'd love for you to come and help understand a little bit more how God's put you together. Okay, back to, back to this scenario. So when Barnabas vouches for Saul, it begins the beginning of an amazing ministry partnership. And when you go back, and now you know the story we know, we know how God used Paul in such amazing ways, you really realize how but desperately how badly he needed an encourager. He was going to go bring the gospel to people who've never heard the name of Jesus before. He would need someone continuing to give him courage to do so. He was going to plant churches and help develop leaders there. Man, he would need an encourager to come alongside of them. He was going to go back to Jerusalem and theologically wrestle with the apostles. He needed someone like Barnabas to be by his side. God knew it all, and this great partnership develops out of that. Let's look a little bit more at that. Number two in your notes, your design will be demonstrated consistently in various environments. Your design, you're going to have plenty of opportunities to demonstrate your design. It'll be demonstrated consistently in various environments. You were just in Acts 9. Move over to Acts 11, just a couple chapters over, and look at verse 19. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, remember we talked about that a little bit ago, earlier in the book of Acts, this guy's murdered for his faith, the church spreads out, they traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, and watch this, spreading the word only among the Jews. We'll talk about that in just a second. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was upon them and was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, talking about Barnabas, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. 
All right, so let's unpack that briefly. So at the very beginning, we read, as a result of Stephen being murdered for being a Jesus follower, the church takes off. And I get that, right? I mean, that's kind of scary times. In America, we can't even imagine that kind of persecution that is actually prevalent all over the world today. That's what was going on. And as the church spread out, you'll note that they were bringing the gospel with them, but they thought it was still just an extension of Judaism. Jesus was the Jews' Messiah, so let's keep telling Jews that he's come, which is great. But the Bible even said their own testament, their Old Testament even says in Isaiah, it's too small a thing for Messiah just to go, just to come to the house of Israel. He's come to the nations. And I say praise God that the early church got that right from the very beginning because very quickly we see that there were some men from Cyprus and Cyrene who were going, I don't think the gospel's only for us. I think Jesus came for the whole world. And they kind of stepped out. They were trailblazers, and they start telling people who aren't Jews, who don't have any context, what's a Messiah? They don't have any idea. They start sharing the good news of Jesus, and people put their faith in him. And so this church is exploding in Antioch. It's this really interesting dynamic. Take a look at the map, by the way. You can see where Antioch is in relationship. There's Cyprus. It was just the, the closest large city on, off the coast to go. And when they go there, this church is this amazing melting pot of Jewish believers who believe Jesus to be Messiah and Gentiles who don't have any context for Yahweh at all. They're putting their faith in Jesus and this thing is growing. Well, the church at Jerusalem, they're confused. They're like, God, we don't, we don't know what's going on up there. We don't know this is supposed to happen. So they're in a very tough spot. So they send a delegate. They send Barnabas, the son of encouragement. They said, Barnabas, go check this out for us. He goes up to the, the church at Antioch, and you'll note there, we read a cool thing. What he begins experiencing very quickly is that this is totally of the Lord. Look what it said. He was glad, and here's the word, and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. So Barnabas is there and he's just excited. He's like, we're gonna keep pouring gas on this. This is such a good thing. Let's keep seeing what God wants to do. And at some point he calls for reinforcements. Man, this is too big of a job, I need some help. So right up around the hook from Antioch is Tarsus. That's where his friend, remember the guy he vouched for before, Saul has been staying there and God was preparing him for this, what was gonna be this lifetime of ministry um, Barnabas goes up there, gets Saul, and says, you've got to come back with me. And we read about for the next year, they just focus their attention on this beautiful church, this incredible melting pot of people that all have the most important thing in common, Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so the church is just growing, and it's awesome during this whole season while Paul or Saul and Barnabas are there. During that time, we get to Acts chapter 13, and at the very beginning of Acts 13, this is what happens in the narrative. It says they were there together that time praying and just seeking the Lord, and God seemed to make it really clear that this great news of what was going on in the church at Antioch needed to be spread. More people, both Jew and Gentile, needed to hear the good news of Jesus. So they, they heard from God, man, pull two people out, kind of set them apart to go and bring this great news to other people. And, and God makes it really obvious it's going to be Barnabas, and this is the first time we read his name changed to Paul. 
And that becomes what we now know as Paul's first missionary journey. Take a look at the map. This is where that would take them to. Interestingly enough, even look at the subscript on my, on my picture there. There's no mention of Barnabas. Barnabas was absolutely a part of this thing from the very beginning, but it's always the same way. God, somehow we, I don't think God has done it, we keep giving attention to the guy in the lights, but it's over here, Barnabas in the shadows. And he's like, I don't need that attention. I just want to encourage you in what God's built you to do. So it was Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey. You'll see they left Antioch. They went to the island of Cyprus. They crossed over and went to cities like Perga up to another place called Pisidia, Antioch, and then over to Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe before they made their return back. So this is the place they go. And Acts 13 and 14 give us the narrative of what happens during that journey. And it was amazing the things that God did among them in that time the gospel was shared, churches were planted, and leaders were established. And that's what they would do in each of these towns, and then ultimately it brought them back to Antioch to give a report of what God was doing. So just this powerful experience throughout that. I love, when I think of Paul and Barnabas, I love I, that great quote right now, teamwork makes the dream work. I love that because I see that in them so much was this complement of gifts. They didn't, weren't gifted the same ways, but they made this wonderful team. And during this series, what I've been just trying to do every week is just to demonstrate these core values are not aspirational. We're not just hoping someday to be these things. We are. And so I've wanted to give you real names, real faces of people who are demonstrating, in this case, the core values in this week, that they, they recognize that God has designed them with a role in mind. And I could, looking around this room today, I could say that about so many of us. This is such a great church related to people wanting to put their gifts in motion and not just wanting it, but doing it. But the couple that came to my mind this week were Doug and Lynn Ray Dupree. You would know them well every time you're out on the plaza and you interact with them. Here's a picture if you don't recognize them. But uh, they're so great at giving leadership to all of our hospitality teams. And so I just wanted to tell you a little bit when I asked them, I said, tell me some things about how you would kind of describe what you do and how God uses you. And they just had some great things. I wanted to read that back. They wrote this, the plaza hospitality team's primary goal is to make every person who walks onto our campus on a Sunday morning or evening or last night on a Saturday feel welcomed and valued. I love that. We like to call ourselves the first face of Trinity Church. And we all know how important first impressions are. We talk about the importance, and I love this phrase, of turning strangers into friends and friends into family when they meet Jesus and join the family of God. The teams that they oversee include the Plaza Greeters, the Start Here hosts, the Donut Table hosts, which I've already told them, please don't ever ask me to do that job because I'll eat most of the inventory. That will not go well. Um, the After Party team that we do on Sunday nights occasionally, food and beverage teams, coffee house, decor, safety, they all kind of fall under the Plaza Hospitality team. And this is what Lynn Ray wrote. Doug and I were Welcome Center hosts for several years before saying yes to taking a leadership role in the Plaza. Mostly we organize, recruit, schedule, train, encourage, team build, and just try to lead by example. And listen to this last line. We love being around people and being outdoors. So they already have that propensity about them. Add to that our gifts of helps and administration, and that makes Plaza Hospitality a perfect fit for us. 
And so I give that to you by way of illustration. You've seen them out there. They're some of our most friendly people, and they have developed a culture of kindness and welcoming at Trinity, which I am so grateful for. But they're just literally two examples of so many that have just done this same thing. God, you've wired me, you've built me, you've designed me to serve you. I want to know what that is, and I want to put it into motion. And I just love getting to brag on them a little bit this week. Paul and Barnabas, by the way, on that missionary journey we talked about a minute ago, they didn't go alone. <clears throat> they had a third member, third, third member, third member of their team, Acts 13, 5. John was with them as their helper. John was with them as their helper. We find out that John goes by also John Mark, is the cousin of Barnabas, cousin of Barnabas. And what we're going to find is that was a real easy fit, right? Barnabas says, hey, man, join us. So you have Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark that were on this journey together. And what we're going to find out, though, is that because of that relationship, John Mark becomes the catalyst for why they part ways. And I'll show you how that makes sense. Number three in your notes, your design will be most obvious when conflict emerges. Your design will be most obvious when conflict emerges. We're in Acts 15. Let me set it up this way. So what's happened, Paul and Barnabas, Acts 13 and 14, they're doing this amazing work. We're going to read in just a minute that John Mark is going to desert them very early. If you remember that map, there was a region called Pamphylia. It's the first stop after they came off of Cyprus, and that's when he ditches. He takes off. And they finish the journey without him. When they come back, they want to bring this great news of what God is doing all over the world, especially in the lives of Gentiles. They want to come back to the church at Jerusalem and help these guys understand God's on the move. Let's not limit this. And so they come back and they have this incredible conversation. The Bible records it in Acts 15, calls it the Jerusalem Council. It's actually chaired by John, John the brother of Jesus. Just imagine that for a minute. The Bible tells us that all of Jesus' siblings discounted him. They did not believe him during his life, but it was in his death and resurrection that John, the brother of Jesus, puts his faith in his own brother. It's a wild notion and ultimately becomes one of the early church leaders. So John is the chairman of this council. He's hearing all these people testify of what God is doing among the Gentiles. And then he finally does this. He actually says what I quoted a couple weeks ago when we kicked off this new year on the 5th of January with this Vision 2020 message. He says this profound statement, we should not make it difficult for Gentiles who are turning to God. The posture we want to have is that we want to continue to make things available to people who are looking for the same Savior that we are so grateful that we know. And so in that context, he sends them back out and says, take this news that the gospel we believe is for all the nations. We want everyone to know. That's the decision that comes out of that council. Now we pick it up at the end of Acts 15, verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord, and let's see how they're doing. So basically, the second missionary journey is, Barnabas, let's you and I go back to all the churches that we planted. Let's encourage them with what the Jerusalem council has arrived at, and just see how they're doing, a great encouragement trip. And then it says in verse 37, Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. This is the cousin who bailed. But Paul did not think it wise to take him. Watch this. Because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Verse 39, they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. 
Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. This is a really powerful um, narrative we just read that I think gets over-preached, and here's what I mean by that. I think there's a lot of factors we don't clearly know about what happens in that interchange, so I'm going to stick real clear to the text of what I do think we can bank on. And it's very interesting to me that this incredible partnership of Paul and Barnabas, look at what they part company over. It wasn't over theology. It wasn't over, we have this really philosophical difference of ministry. What it was over was relationships. Relationships. And that's often the case. It's simply a case of, you know what? I am for this person. And in this case, a guy like Paul, I am not. And I want to help you a little bit with that. It can seem like Paul's pretty harsh. You know what? The guy bailed on us. We can't trust him. We're out. I just want a moment, though. I want you to get into his sandals for just a second, and I want you to think about some partnerships you've been in that didn't go well, meaning that maybe you were in a partnership with another person. In this case, it was a partnership of three, Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark. They went on this venture. Imagine you're in a partnership with another individual or two, and it's a big venture. It's a big business opportunity you're going to step into, or maybe a ministry team you're developing, whatever it might be, and think about what happened when one of those people bailed. And that was no small vacuum that they created. So I think Paul kind of realizing, man, we needed John Mark. Early in the trip, he left us. We really needed his help. I don't know if I trust him again. I don't know if, and that's really the issue. It's not like John Mark is some horrible person. I just don't want him on my team. I'm thinking about that, and I'm thinking, I think I might have felt the same way. This is a big deal, what we're going to go do. We don't need a guy just bailing out on us again. Some of you, though, in the room, you're demonstrating right now that you have the gift of encouragement because you're going, nah, Todd, Barnabas was right. Remember what we said earlier, encouragers have this amazing way of not just helping people have courage, they know who needs courage the most. Think about a guy like John Mark, who not only failed, but probably felt like a failure. And when Barnabas says, I still believe in you, I believe in the way God's built you, I believe in the way God wants to use you, I want you to join us, I want you to go. Barnabas had such great confidence and such concern over John Mark's future, he was willing to say no to Paul, you go and do your thing. I'm going to take John Mark and we'll go do our thing. Some people really preach this as some big schism and all that. I don't know if it was full of a lot of bad attitude and anger. I really just think it was, it doesn't make sense to Paul. I'm going to go this way. And Barnabas says, well, I'm going to value John Mark. And that's what I want you to see. Look in your notes. This is really what the issue was, I believe. It was relational, but it was more than that. There's a time when care for an individual and their personal encouragement is more significant than a particular aspect of the mission. There's a time when care for an individual and their personal encouragement is more significant than a particular aspect of the mission. And by the way, I want to tell you something that's really powerful that the rest of the New Testament fills in some of the blanks. Paul, his very last letter, literally he is ready to face death, is sent to his apprentice, his protege, Timothy. And in 2 Timothy, at the very end of that letter, what does Paul say? Hey, no matter what you do, be sure to bring John Mark because he's very helpful to me. 
Man, what a cool redemptive story in that. And I believe that Barnabas played such a huge role because he didn't kick John Mark to the curb. But he said, I believe in you. And ultimately, Paul would see that same value and would actually change his tune. When I was getting ready for today, I told you today's goal was not necessarily all about the gift of, of encouragement. It was more of just what is your gifts. But I was thinking about this gift of encouragement, and it really made me think of a friend of mine who does embody this so well. He's my friend Ray Johnston. You might remember Ray, founding pastor of Bayside Church. This picture was taken two years ago when Ray was with us. He was preaching here at Trinity. And, um, and I love Ray. I've known Ray for about 15 years in various capacities. And I don't know that Ray was always this way, but for sure in the last 15 years, he has really been a pastor to pastors. Meaning he is this great encourager. He's one of those guys that um, when I ask for help, he's happy to give it, happy to give advice. He's also not the guy who tells you how to do things when you're not asking for help. That's equally encouraging. <laughs> I found that out. So, so I love this about him, and I love that, um, that he's willing to do that with me. He, he also is an encourager in some ways that are just so fun and practical. Last time when he was here with us, he sent my family a candy gram. I didn't even know you can find people who do candy grams anymore, but somehow he found a way, and my family just got a great giggle out of the way he thought of us and what he, um, he did for us that time. He's also someone that demonstrates definitely in a very overt and even just extravagant way his encouragement. It was Ray and his church that invited and included Joanna and I to be a part of the cruise we were on, the footsteps of Paul in Greece and in the Mediterranean last October. What we still say was the trip of a lifetime. And so just that overt, extravagant encouragement Ray's also someone who knows how to encourage verbally. He's just affluent in the way that he always talks so kindly to me and about me. He was actually on this stage two years ago when he said, Todd Arnett is one of the best pastors on the West Coast. A complete lie. <laughs> yeah, that is not true. But Ray says that. Ray thinks so, and he tells me that. He literally, I was just up with him last month at the beginning of January. We had dinner together, and it's really just the way we always part. His parting words to me Trinity Church is lucky to have you. I don't always know if that's true, but Ray tells me that, and that's a really cool thing. So I say that to tell you this. Ray Johnson's going to be here next week preaching at Trinity. I'm real excited about that, and he's just going to bring it in such a great way, and you're going to love hearing him. So it's definitely something not only for you to sh be sure you're here too, but bring a friend, because Ray's got this great gift of just encouragement in the way he teaches God's Word. But the other thing that Ray's going to talk about is something that Trinity Church has bought into the very first year I was here, and that's a thing called Thrive Southwest. His church, Bayside Church, puts on this amazing conference in the low desert out in Indian Wells at a church there called Southwest Community Church and puts on this great conference that simply is what I tell people the easiest way to explain it. It's the best shot in the arm of encouragement and hope you're going to get in two days anywhere. And so we bring a bunch of people from Trinity. We'll talk about that next week, about an opportunity that you would have to attend. But we would just, we just love what God does through Thrive Southwest and would love to keep getting as many people from Trinity there as possible. So that's that. Next week's going to be an awesome week. Let me finish by reminding you what this now what statement is. What are we about this week as we walk out of here? Identify your God-given design and honor him by engaging your gifts to serve others. Let me pray.
Father, we come before you today as a people that are truly overwhelmed when we consider that you haven't just rescued us, you haven't just, as it were, put us in the lifeboat, but God, you've actually equipped us, you've given us gifts, you've designed us with a role in mind that we can contribute. That blows our minds because we know ourselves and we're like, man, I can't contribute well to anything, nonetheless, the eternal work of your church. And so I just thank you, God. Thank you for being um, so thoughtful about that development in us. We are your children and you've given your kids gifts to use them to encourage other kids. And that's just such a cool thing. So we say thank you for that. If you're here today and you're saying, Todd, I would, I would love to know more about this gift, but the reality is I just really have never known that I could know God personally. I've had a deistic view. I believe there's a big guy in the sky, but I didn't know he'd actually made himself available to me in the person, in the God-man, Jesus. And I have great news for you. If that's you today and you want to do something about that, you can be like Saul on the road to Damascus. You can make a decision to respond to Jesus' invitation by A, admitting that you need a Savior, B, believing that Jesus is the only Savior available, and C, choosing, choosing to put your confidence and trust in what He's accomplished, not in yourself, not in religion, not in morality, but in what Jesus has done for you and saying, Jesus, I just simply want to live according to your example. That, that's where it begins, and I just want to encourage you, don't leave this place today before you've made that decision. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for all that you are, all that you are, have been to us. We look forward to what you're going to continue to do through these gifts at Trinity Church. We pray in Jesus' great name. Amen.